that you are significant. You're destined for greatness. You will be prosperous. Yeah, no, I can't do that. Sorry. Fact is, you're just not, right? That's a reality. Let's do it a little bit differently, a little bit more true. You're destined to go to a job tomorrow that you kind of like and don't like at the same time and you feel similarly about the colleagues you work with. You're destined to have a marriage with a person that you love but are convinced that they are the most stubborn person on the planet because they won't conform exactly to who you want them to be and they will feel the same way about you. And now you should go home and have a stubborn-off argument about who's the most stubborn. In our family, it's Beth, by the way. Um, You're destined to have children whom you love and would give up your life for. But you never realized it would be that difficult. You would honestly think about living on a deserted island far more than you ever thought was possible, right? This is the reality of our lives. This is what we go through day to day. This is why you all come here every week, right? Just to get uplifted by me on a Sunday morning. But from a worldly perspective, this is just true. It amazes me that people go to prosperity churches and never seem to realize that the only person that becomes significant, prosperous, etc., is the preacher. Anyway, why start like this? Well, I'm here to tell you that your life can and should have great purpose. It is significant, and you are going to prosper, but we have to get our perspective right. All of these things that I've just mentioned are promised and guaranteed in eternity, where you will share in Christ's glory forevermore, bathed in His grace to display forever the sacrifice Jesus made to give it to you. The love of the Father that sent Him. You will dwell forevermore as a display of the glorious, abounding mercy and grace of God as you share eternity with Him. That is our focus, church. That is what we're meant to be living for now. And that is the focus of our passage this week. And I hope and pray it inspires us in the right way. So if you have your Bible with you, we are up to John chapter 17, and we're going to begin with uh, verses 17 through to 20. John 17, 17 through to 20. All right. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world... I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Amen. All right, so last week we looked at the flow of the passage, and that was that Jesus is truth. What does that mean? It means that Jesus reveals the character of God. And the name of God is seen in the personhood of Jesus. What does that mean? It means the love, anger, justice, grace, 
forgiveness of God, all seen in the person of Jesus. The name and character of God is revealed in Christ. And so Jesus prayed that the Father would keep his followers in his name, which means Jesus prayed that the Father would keep his followers in step with the revealed character of God found in Christ. That we would honor the word of God. We would walk in its truth. So that's what we saw last week. We finished looking at the persecution we have in the world and also that we are sent into the world. That's what we uh, looked at last week. So now we're going to see that just unpacked a little bit more. As you sent me, says Jesus to the Father, I also sent them into the world. What was Jesus sent in the world to do? Because that's what he says, as you sent me, so I send them. Well, we'll go to the classic John 3.16, the most known Bible verse in the entirety of the Scriptures. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus was sent by the Father to save the lost. Amen? Is that what he did? Yeah? We awake? He would pay the penalty of their sin on the cross. He would conquer sin and death, and those who put their faith in Jesus receive eternal life. So says Jesus, I send them in the same way the Father sent me. So what does that mean? It means that Jesus is saying, we are sent into the world to proclaim the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Father, as you've sent me to seek and save the lost, so I send them to seek and save the lost. That is what Jesus is saying in this final prayer. Okay? Straight up, know that deep in your heart, church. This is the call of Christ on each of our lives. Now, hopefully that makes sense. And you're not going to argue with me too much about it. Now, the next bit sounds a little bit more tricky of that verse we just read before. I sanctify myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by the truth. I sanctify myself for them that they may be sanctified by the truth. What does that mean? Well, sanctified can also mean consecrated. It can be translated as consecrated. What it means is to be set aside for holy use. So, for instance, priests were consecrated in the Old Testament to perform certain rites within the people of Israel. So only priests could carry out the sacrifices. Only priests could perform certain functions. So they were consecrated to a specific task which they needed to fulfill. They were sanctified for the task. And so Jesus says, sanctify them, consecrate them in the truth, in the Word of God. In other words, consecrate them to your service, Father, by the Word of God. So, I, so you sent me, so I sent them. Right? Are we starting to get the picture here? 
we are set aside for the same use as Jesus was set aside for. In other words, Jesus was set aside to be a sacrifice for us. The Father set him aside, consecrated him to fulfill a certain function, to bring glory to the Father, which was to die on the cross. And Jesus says, as I have sanctified myself, as I have been set apart for the task of bringing about salvation, so I consecrate them, I sanctify them for the same task. In other words, we have been set aside to be used as tools of consecration, put aside to bring about the salvation of people. How? By proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? So both in the fact that we are sent in the same way that Jesus was sent, we are set aside as consecrated, as sanctified to reach the lost, to bring about their salvation just like Christ was. Church, here is your purpose. Here is your call to significance. It is to continue the mission of Jesus as his dedicated holy instrument to reach out and share the good news with the lost. You are not a farmer or a teacher, a doctor, a tradie, a cleaner, a secretary. You're a holy missionary set apart for the glory of God by conforming to his word and reaching out and sharing the good news with those who need to hear it. Right? This is what Jesus is praying for us in this passage. Then, we read something which makes everything I said last week not true. No, that, that's not true, actually, but just got to put that out there. Uh, what Jesus says in that final bit of our passage uh, there is, he now starts addressing those who will believe through his disciples. I'm not just praying for them, but all those who will believe through them, right? So, last week when I said, you know, we are all given by the Father to the Son, etc., etc., was that only about the disciples? Well, no, because what we're going to see in this passage is the same language. Jesus is actually going to say, now he shifts from a primary focus to the 12 disciples, he shifts to the people who will believe through them, but in that passage he will say, those you have given me. So we've got the same language as we had last week. Plus, all of the themes in this passage are still there in many places throughout the New Testament as well. So roughly, last week Jesus is primarily talking to his 12 disciples, but it applies equally to everyone. And this week, he kind of shifts gear to just openly talk about those who will believe through them. So the question is, why? If, if everything Jesus said last week kind of applies to everyone, why would he split it up like this? Well, think about this. Jesus has just said primarily to the 12 I want you to go into the world the same way I come into the world, which is to seek and save the lost. 
Secondly, I want you to view yourself as consecrated, as holy and set apart for the mission of reaching the lost in the same way that I was holy and set apart to seek and save the lost. Then Jesus says, now let's address everyone who is going to believe through you. What is that actually telling them right there and then? It works. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Amen? So he just shifts gear and he goes, guys, I want you to go out there and see people come to faith by telling them the good news. Now let me address those people who are going to come to faith. Right? That's a fact. Everyone is still saved to this day by the hearing of the good news. How wonderful were all those baptisms last week, hey? Fantastic. Why were they up here? Because someone shared the good news with them. And God called, and they knew his voice, and they became his disciples. They are a direct extension of everything we're reading about here in John. Amen? Those who will believe because you go into the world like I went into the world, and you set yourself apart as holy for my use, and you preach the good news. Church, that's why those six were here, and in fact, that's why we are here this morning. You should feel encouraged by this passage, church. Governments come and go. Cultural trends come and go. But the gospel will never lose its power to save. Right? That is what Jesus is promising in this passage. Okay? When we do this, when we go into the world, when we sanctify ourselves and consecrate ourselves for the mission, that's how Christ saves people through the proclamation of the good news. So, for all of us who believe, Jesus has some specific things he wants us to know and do. And that's the next bit of our passage. So, I'm just going to read John 17, 21 to 23. John 17, 21 to 23. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, so that they may be one, as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me, and have loved them as you loved me. Amen. May we be one. Remember, he's not just talking about the 12 here. May we all, everyone who believes through the ages from the preaching of the good news passed down from generation to generation of faithful missionaries, may we all be one like the Father and the Son are one. Unified in character, unified in purpose, unified in mission. And that is how we are to be as well. So much so that Jesus, uh, so much so that we are included sort of in the love of the Father and the Son 
uh, in a way that the world, when they see our unity, when they see our love, when they see the way we work together, will actually believe that Jesus was sent by the Father. When a non-Christian sees the unity and love of this room gathered, and we do so in the name of Jesus, they're meant to say there's something otherworldly going on there. There's something different going on there. So much so that they have to think Jesus himself must come from God the Father. That's what Jesus actually prayed. Isn't that a challenge? Right? The love we have for one another, the unity that we have in this room should tell anyone who comes in here that this love must come from other than ourselves. It can only come from God. What does he mean by being in the Father? It means, of course, that we stay connected to the vine, that God will produce the fruit of godliness in our lives, the fruit of mission in our lives, because we stay connected to him. The result of this should be that when, as I said, people, non-believers come into this room, they should see that we obviously don't live according to the worldly standards, but that Christ and the Father are real by how we conduct ourselves. In other words, the love, the forgiveness, the generosity, the lack of slander, the willingness to serve, the welcoming of new people, the hatred of sin, putting others ahead of ourselves, having the same attitude of Jesus, right? This is what Christ is saying, defines us as being his followers and showing that he came from the Father. Church, when a non-Christian walks into this room, do you know what Jesus is saying? They are meant to experience the love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness of 200 Jesuses here this morning. That's what he's saying. That when you are in me and I'm in you and you are honoring my truth and living according to my character, when you are set apart as consecrated and holy and you live out the character of God, that means when they walk in here, what they experience is being with Jesus 2,000 years ago because the same love, the same embracing, the same seeking the lost, it's here in the people of Jesus this morning. Amen? It is a challenge. It's a huge challenge. Let's not sell ourselves short of what he's calling us to. That is what people are meant to experience. As individually we are sanctified for the gospel of Jesus Christ and corporately that brings us into a unity that doesn't exist in the world. And it shines the light of the glory of God who makes it possible. Does our church do this perfectly? No. I fall well short of the mark, and so do we all. But we are being made into the image of Jesus, being made into his character. And like a child learning to walk, initially there's lots of stumbles and falling down on their butt, but their walk gets steadier, it progresses, it moves forward. 
And so will we, church, as we grow more into the character of Christ and we take a few less stumbles and His grace is seen more and His generosity is seen more and our willingness to give is seen more, so we begin to reflect more and more the character of Christ in our life and in our church. We don't fulfill this perfectly. But... If you look at this church humbly, not with demanding eyes needing your every need met, but if we look humbly, you will see the beauty of Christ here. I know that people here are serving behind the scenes in so many ways. The teachers of your children, people cleaning, people running the kitchen, making crafts, helping elders who have absolutely no idea about mechanical things fixing car on a Saturday, which may or may not have happened yesterday. It goes on and on. Let, let me tell you, I heard an argument here one day. Someone was selling something to another person in the church. The issue was the seller wanted to sell it for less and the buyer wanted to pay more. That only works in the church, amen? And that was, the, that was the disagreement, right? Why does that happen? Because the character of Christ is seen in his people, gathered and individually. The same generosity, the same love, right? It's here. I've seen people in this church act poorly, unfairly. I've seen them completely forgiven. I see people who have no reason whatsoever to get on in the eyes of the world get on incredibly well, love and support one another. And church, it's worth every Sunday pausing at the door before you walk in. Take a breath and remember that how you conduct yourself today should proclaim to anyone else in the room that Jesus Christ comes from the Father and his Lordship is seen in your life. Right? That's what we're to live like. But not just on Sunday. The way we care for each other, support one another, do my actions tell the world that Jesus comes from the Father? If we have a weakness in our walk as Christians. If we have a weakness here this morning, I think it's too often we judge ourselves by intentions rather than actions. We can walk away from a Sunday morning sermon going, oh, that was great. Yeah, thanks, Sam. I'll be more caring. I'll be more involved. I'll work to be more in unity. But intentions don't count for much. Faith without works is dead. So is intention without action. Right? Pause. What do I need to do to draw closer to the character of Christ and show it in my love and actions towards others? And act. Ground yourself in the revelation of God in the person of Jesus as found in the Bible. Align yourself to that 
Let the vine create the fruit of God in your life and live it out both in the unity of love with fellow believers and dedication to the mission of reaching the lost. That is what Jesus is saying. And that is what we are to do, church. All right, moving on in our passage. Final bit, John 17, 24 to 26. John 17, 24 to 26. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, however, I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them, and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. Amen. So Jesus now refers to all those the Father has given him, both the original disciples and whoever believes in Jesus through the continual proclamation of the good news. And Jesus says he wants them to come to him and see his glory that he had before the world began because the Father has loved the Son eternally. Now, church, just pause on this for a moment. The greatness of Christ we see in the New Testament, his character that we see revealed, his continual mercy, his continual grace, the way he always does the right thing. I look at the life of Christ and I'm like, he was perfect. And the scripture says, we only see it so dimly now, right? This is 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. But then, face to face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. What does that mean? It means Jesus is now in resplendent glory radiating the full might, majesty, and power of God, brighter than the sun in its full light is Jesus, fully God, unrestrained. And Jesus in this passage says, I want you to behold me in my glory. Church, when you get to eternity, that is who you are going to see, Jesus in unrestrained beauty of holiness and glory. And in that instant, you will be transformed to be like him. Now, not quite the same glory, holy radiance as God, but purified able to look upon the full glory of God without perishing. In that instance, you will behold His glory without the mirror. You will see Him face to face, the resplendent, all-power glory of Jesus Christ. You will dwell in His holy presence with no barrier, just the joy of the full glory of God. That is what Jesus longs for you to see through his death and resurrection. Final and complete salvation. 
Which brings us to the final and great point of Jesus' prayer for his disciples, right? This is the end of the whole of the upper room discourse and now this prayer for his disciples. And here is the final point that Jesus has to make to his 12 back then to us this morning. I made your name known to them. Now remember, this name means the character of God, the essence of God. As I've said, the best way I can explain it is God said, my name is I am. And we can think about that like this. God says, I am eternal. I am all-powerful. I am love. I am justice. I am all-knowing. And Jesus has revealed the character of God. Right? So Jesus has revealed his name, and his name is justice, and his name is mercy, and his name is love, because Christ has revealed that to us. And then Jesus has prayed that the Father will continue to make it known, continue to reveal the character of God, and keep us there, keep us walking in the will and character of Jesus. So what will the consequence be? The Father keeps us in the name, keeps, keeps us in the character, keeps us walking after Jesus, and that is the final part of Jesus' prayer. Firstly, that the love the Father has for Jesus will be in us. That's what Jesus says right there at the end. The love that the Father has for Christ will be in us. Now, this can actually be translated another way. The love the Father has for the Son will be among us. So it will be in us and among us. The two go together, don't they? As we follow the name of Jesus, as we align ourselves to his character, as we are consecrated to the truth, then the love that the Father has for the Son will be the love that grows in your own heart. You will love like the Father loves the Son, is what Jesus is saying. And not only that, but as that love fills your heart as his follower, then that love will be known among us as we love for one another in that way. The love of God will transform you. And then it will transform the way that we interact together. Church, what a precious promise. The love that the Father has for the Son is the love that radiates among us as God's people. Is it any wonder that when they walk in here they should recognize it or is something otherworldly about this love and unity that we have? That's Jesus' final prayer that we would have the love here of the love the Father has for the Son among us. Church, if you are bitter at anyone here this morning, harboring resentment, let it go. Life is short. Eternity is long. Seek the Father and His character and find His love again in your own heart, and for one another. Secondly, the second part of what Jesus prays is that we will walk in the character of God. He will be with us. So in that final prayer, what was lost in the Garden of Eden was 
God being with his people, walking with them. Now in and through the death and resurrection of Jesus, he will be in us and amongst us. Jesus dwells in the midst of his people, church, the place where the love of God reigns and the presence of Jesus dwells tangibly in and through his people. If you would have a great marriage, it is because you love with the Father's love that is not about the other person but flows out of his character as you align yourself to it. If you would parent with grace and mercy, it is because you are filled with the presence of Jesus who gave up his life as a sacrifice to bring about the children of God and so we too willingly lay down our lives for those whom we love. Right? All of these changes come from aligning ourselves, consecrating ourselves to the truth of God's world, going into the world, sharing the good news. This all flows from God's people devoting themselves to living out God's word, sanctified for God's mission to bring about God's glory, which we will see forevermore. Church, don't fall for the promise of petty earthly significance and greatness. Set your eyes on the glory of Christ which we will behold with unveiled eyes as we are transformed instantly into his likeness. Right? That is the promise of Scripture. In summary, the Father will keep you in his name, in the character of God revealed. As you walk in that character, you are set apart and consecrated to continue the mission of Jesus to share the good news and see the lost saved. The result of walking in his character will be the love of God flowing in your own heart and to one another in this church as we reflect the love of God revealed on earth. Right? That is who we are in this building and that is what we should be striving for. It starts in our own hearts, not in the other people's. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your grace. It's so clear, Lord. You've given us to Christ. He's paid the penalty of our debt. You welcome us into glory all by your grace, by your love, by your mercy, not because of us. But Lord, in response to the love of God, in response to the mercy shown, you call us to align ourselves to your character. Lord, filled with your spirit, we begin to be more like Christ and you call us to be set apart for the proclamation of the good news. Lord, to love one another with the love that the Father has for the Son. Lord, we pray firstly for our own hearts that we would let go of bitterness, anger, resentment, all of these things, Lord. Instead, we would love with the love of God that loved us while we were yet sinners. Lord, may we love like that. Lord, we pray that corporately, as a church, we would reflect, that we would have love so evident that when anyone walks into this room, they would pause and think, this love means that Jesus comes from God because this love does not belong from this world. 
Lord, we pray that there would be an abounding unity that would bring glory to Jesus. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.